Well, good evening, everybody. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this evening. Thank you for the blessing that even though it's evening, God, we can still see the sun shining. God, I pray that that's a reminder that in the darkness, Lord, you are shining brightly, Lord, that you are our light. You are the truth. You are the one that casts out evil and lies. God, you are the one we rely upon. Lord, I pray that tonight, that as we go through your word, Lord, that we will find ourselves encouraged. God, that we will draw ever closer to you. And Lord, that we will honor you with all that we are. Amen. I don't know how many individuals here have... Well, that's a dumb way to start it. Many of you have had to apply for work or positions or have had to... uh, Seek some type of position at times. And in that, you have come into contact at some point or another, some type of description, a job description, some type of checklist that an employer would expect an employee or a volunteer or someone that helps to do. You know, I've had job descriptions at present, My job description is the constitution of our church. And as the the pastor, the church gave me certain tasks that they wanted me to, to work on and to work towards. And then it's important that every now and then I check to see if I'm doing the things that I've been entrusted to do. And there are times where I need to be reminded. And I guess my question is then, does God sometimes have a checklist of things that, you know, he expects from us? And I don't mean this in terms of salvation. No, that work is in Christ. But nonetheless, we look at scripture and we see that there are things there that he hopes to see from us in this life. In terms of how we approach him, how we rely upon him, how we serve our neighbor, how we love our neighbor. There are, yes, things that God wants to see. And he has every right to put that in place. I was reading through Psalm 50. And such a list is is given within, within this passage, which I'd like to go through with you this evening. So if you would, please go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 50. We're going to reflect, what is it that God, what is it God is asking from us? What are some things that he seeks? This is not an exhaustive list. This is one psalm. There are many things that God would like to see. And ultimately, if I were to summarize, he wants to see Christ in us. He wants to see his son through us. And here we will see a bit of a picture of some of the things he would like. So Psalm 50, and I'm going to read verse 7 through to the end. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all the moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. 
For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite any statutes or take my covenant upon your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. And these things you have done and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. In verse 7, we read, Hear, O my people, and I'll speak. I am God, your God. And most often the Psalms, it's interesting, is that usually it's the psalmist that is speaking to God, crying out to God. But in this case, who is the one doing the speaking? It is God himself. So we need to listen because he is giving us a, yes, a a list. He is sharing with us his desires, his heart, what he wants. So what are some of the things that he wants? Well, first off, he wants us to, to thank him. He wants us to be thankful to him. And the one particular area that he starts addressing deals with sacrifices. And when God established a relationship with Israel, he gave them a list of sacrifices he required of them. And there's numerous passages in Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus which describes those sacrifices. And if we ever take the time to go through them, you'll see some of the beautiful symbolism that is present in those sacrifices. We read about the burnt offerings, the sin offerings, and the thank offerings, and so on. And they were a central part of the religious environment of Israel. In Psalm 50, we read that God does not rebuke them for bringing them these sacrifices. They had been quite faithful in doing so. And yet, there's still a rebuke. God still has a rebuke for them, even though these sacrifices came. And the problem is this. The problem is that these sacrifices became an empty ritual. They became an empty ritual. Instead of being a form of worship and a form of pointing to really to to what Christ would one day achieve in his blood, it became an empty ritual going through the motions And they brought them out of duty and and for the reasons that God never intended. They brought the sacrifices as if they were beginning to do God a favor. Like, yep, I brought my sacrifice, God. This one's for you. Here's my best bull. I hope you appreciate it. It was no longer with an attitude of honoring the Lord, but more of an attitude of, 
gratifying me. They thought that if they brought them, God would be pleased because they saw God like oftentimes we see each other. They thought that he would be happy to have more. But God points out how foolish this perspective is. God has never needed the sacrifices they brought. God didn't need an animal from them. It says here in the text that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So what could they give him that he did not already have? Furthermore, God wasn't dependent on creating things for his food. God doesn't need food. It's a rhetorical question from verse 13 that implies that God does not eat the meat of bulls or drink the blood of goats. We see here that God is not a hungry God who depends on what we bring him. They had forgotten that the covenant was about a relationship to God and not about a ritual by which they could make God happy. And though we do not bring animal sacrifices to God today, we are still prey to this same kind of thinking in the church. We think that if we give God our time or our money, that we will somehow be able to please God and move Him to favor us even more. Does God need our money? Does God need our time? One writer asks, Do men fancy that the Lord needs banners and music and incense and fine linen? All things that live are His. It belonged to Him in the first place. And sometimes, sometimes when we want to buy a gift for someone who already has everything, and, and you know what that situation's like, what on earth do you give someone who already owns everything? Well, then how much more is true of the one true God? If we're trying to please God and move Him to favor by our gifts and our sacrifices, we have then misunderstood what God is actually asking from us. And we need to move from sacrifices that ultimately serve self-indulgence to understanding what are the sacrifices that God does want. The word sacrifice, which is found in verse 8, where it refers to animal sacrifices, is the same word that is used in verse 14, where we are told that the sacrifice God wants is a sacrifice of praise or thanksgiving. He wants a praise, uh, a sacrifice of praise or thanksgiving. And this is not the only place in Scripture where we're called to sacrifice in the form of praise or thanksgiving. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5.18 where we're called to give thanks in all circumstances. And this is something that God wants from us. Why does God want us to bring a sacrifice of praise? Well, one writer says, God did not need thanksgiving to bolster his self-esteem. And in the words of C.S. Lewis, he wrote that, like a vain person wanting compliments or a vain author presenting his new books to people who had never met or heard of him, God wanted thanksgiving. And for that, in turn, emerged from human lives full joy. So why do we need to give thanks to God? It's because as we do, we recognize that everything we have comes from God. After all, every living thing comes from the Lord. It belongs to Him in the first place. 
Have you ever sat down and made a list of everything that God has given you? You can start with, you know, life you were given this morning. You were given a breath of air in your lungs. What about the roof over your head? The meals that you've eaten today. What about some friendships? The work that God's given you. A Savior. Eternal life. And we could go on and on. I know when I have struggled and I find myself in a rut. Oftentimes my wife will come along me and say, Honey, maybe it's time you sit down and write down what you're thankful for. It sounds like a Sunday school exercise, but it's really something I think adults should be doing too. Because then it puts us back in the perspective of, Lord, what I have, I am thankful for because it comes from you. So not only does Thanksgiving recognize the gifts that we have, but it acknowledges them as from God. God is, as the Bible says, God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And when we offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, we acknowledge him as the source. No matter what our situation, we can think about what God has given, and we can thank him for that. In verse 23 of this passage, we see that we can also, uh, when we rejoice at God's gifts to us and thank him, we honor the Lord. And there it says, he who sacrifices, thank offerings to me. There's nothing in the world more important than honoring God. There's nothing in the world more important than bringing glory and honor to the name of God. So simply put, yes, God wants us to recognize all the good we have in him. And let him know that we understand that it is from him to begin with. And we appreciate it. And we thank him for it. And yes, this is a sacrifice as in it's been brought before him. And it moves us away from thinking of things in terms of empty ritual and a consumer attitude. And it moves us towards God and it moves us more towards his kind of love. And his respect and an appreciation for him. So that was one of the first things mentioned in this passage was giving God offerings of thanksgiving. The next thing mentioned in this passage is the importance of keeping your promises to God. Keeping your vows that you have made before the Lord. When Jacob was on his way to his uncle Laban's place, he stopped for the night and during the night he had a dream in which he met God. And after the dream, he made a promise to God and he said in Genesis 28, 20 verse 20 through 22, he says, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. The Bible also tells of a story of Hannah. She had been unable to have a child for many years and really wanted one. And one day when she was at the temple, she prayed to God in her pain and in her anguish. She came to the Lord and yes, she made a vow. First Samuel 111, O Lord Almighty, 
If you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. What are some of the promises and vows that maybe you have made to the Lord? Have you promised to live for God and to follow in a relationship with Him? Perhaps there are other vows that you have made in the presence of God. For instance, a marriage vow. Perhaps you have made a promise over your children or over your grandchildren. Have you ever promised God that if He got you out of trouble, would you give Him a gift or something like that? Lord, if you get me out of this situation, I will never do that again. It's a favorite shtick in some shows. Have you ever made a pledge to donate to a particular charity or to a needy person? To the Lord. But maybe you haven't followed up on that. Perhaps you were at a revival or some type of conference and you made a promise to God about how you were going to live your life from that day forward compared to what you had before. But it's not the vow. It's the genuine character behind it. It's the follow-up. It's keeping the vow and the promise. How frustrating is it when people promise to do something for us and then they either forget or they fail or they don't follow through and we're left standing alone or exposed because they didn't show up or we're left having to cover for them because they did not do what they had promised. And have you ever had school projects where you were on a team and then someone promised you, I'll take care of the poster board and the artwork. And then the day the project comes due, there's no poster board. And the artwork is a piece of notebook paper with a stick figure on it. And it's like, you didn't do what you said you would do. Your yes wasn't yes, your no wasn't no. Your, your word doesn't mean anything. Young people often go to Bible schools or Bible camps and they have a tremendous experience there. Because they're, they're away from the, the, the rest of the world for a bit in their focus and in their heart, they're quite sincere in the promises that they make to God. But then what happens is then a few weeks or a few months later, they move from this spiritual high and then they forget about the promises that they've made. When we're baptized before the congregation, when we're baptized that we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are making an open declaration about our commitment to the Father. Baby dedications. I have not had one here yet, but in baby dedications I've been to, the congregation makes a promise that they will come alongside the family and the children to be an encouragement to them in their walks with the Lord. What happens to these commitments we're making? Both Jacob and Hannah made promises in the presence of God, and when God had answered their prayer, they kept the promises they had made. And the Bible puts a high premium, yes, on keeping the promises we, we make. Verse 14 of this passage says, Fulfill your vows to the Most High. How dare we ever speak anything to God 
out of falsehoods. And if we do make a promise, then we better keep it. If we are in relationship with God, a part of that relationship, yes, is keeping what we say to be true. Even if it causes us to have to lose something in order to keep that promise. If we keep the promises we make to God, it means, yes, we are good to our word. And if our word is to the Lord, then he sees how seriously we do indeed take this relationship. We don't make flippant promises to God, but we honor him in sincerity and, yes, committed obedience. So, yes, we offer the Lord gifts of thanksgiving. We keep our word. And then he also wants us to seek him. He wants us to seek him. And specifically, this passage mentions a day of trouble. When Jesus was about to face the cross, it was very difficult. He cried and sweat drops of blood and yes, anguish as he faced death on the cross. And then when Paul and Silas were in Philippi, where they were where they found themselves in jail because what have they been doing? They've been proclaiming Jesus Christ. And they did not know what their fate would be and experienced the bondage and the uncertainty and the unpleasantness of being in prison. In James 5.13, trials become personal when we are asked, are any of you in trouble? Are any of you facing trouble now? Life sometimes brings a day of trouble. It might be a medical crisis. It might be a spiritual crisis. It might be an emotional breakdown or a relational struggle. You've heard the saying, life's like a box of chocolates. Sometimes it's the candy you like. Sometimes it's the coconut cream you don't really care for. Or sometimes it's the one you're allergic to. You don't like coconut cream? Oh. I was thinking of doing an accent, but I didn't want to lose my point. But yeah, sometimes you don't know what the next day will bring. And in all those circumstances, we're to call upon the Lord. What did Jesus and Paul and Silas do in their situations, in these examples? When Jesus was in the garden, wrestling, knowing that his crucifixion was around the corner. Luke twenty-two forty-four says this, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. He turned to his father. When Paul and Silas were prison, Acts 16.25 tells us that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They were worshiping God, seeking Him, and even ministering to those around them through their praises and hymns. That James 5.13 passage invites us, if any one of you is in trouble, you should pray. In a similar way in this passage, God invites us to call upon Him in our times of trouble. That is what God wants of us. 
He does not want an overly formalized relationship filled with empty duties and empty ritual. He wants that relationship. He wants it deep and bountiful in which we know that we need him and in which we know him well enough that we'll be free to ask him for help when we're in trouble. That friend that you know is always there on the other side of the phone. The one that is there with you always. That's what God wants to be to you. This verse is interesting because of the connection between, yes, our need, our need for prayer, our need for God's deliverance, but also the need to give glory to God. And this is why we're invited to go to God in our time of trouble. When we do, God does what He does best. He moves in His will. And in that, He moves to what He must do. When He meets our need, we recognize that we have been helped because of His grace. And as a result, the glory goes to Him and not me. You see, if we try to help ourselves and we don't really, what we're saying is we don't really need God. And when we get ourselves out of trouble, we act as though we receive the glory. If we know that we can't do it ourselves, then we have nowhere to turn but to God. And God helps us. And it is obvious that help comes only because of what God has already done, what God has already achieved, what God intends to do. When that is the case, the glory must go to him. John Piper says that prayer is the antidote for the disease of self-confidence that opposes God's goal of getting glory by working for those who wait for him. That's the relationship God wants. One in which he helps us and we recognize what he has done and glorify him for it. Admittedly, I'll, I'll share my heart on something with you. Um, I love prayer, and I love times of prayer. But I will say that there are times where it can be hard to lead a group in prayer as we take prayer requests, you know, weeks, weeks in and, and weeks out. And, and so often, yes, it is good we, we, we pray for our physical struggles, that we lift those up to God, that we're giving our needs because that's what he wants. He wants us to give him our troubles. But sometimes it's hard for me because I also want to hear us pray for the spiritual things. And I also, I, I also yearn to hear the praises also. I think in leading prayer, one of the hardest things to listen to is, is crickets when asking for praise for God. You know, if, and so my hope is that as we grow, and as we grow in our love for the Lord, we begin to see more of all the many things He deserves praise for. And my hope is that in boldness, that in those times of prayer, we're not embarrassed to mention even the smallest thing that is deserving of God's praise, in addition to the grandest things that deserve God's praise because he deserves all of it. 
If God wanted more sacrifices, we could create a list of things to do and check them off when we have done them. But that's not what God wants. Rather, he wants us to recognize all the good things he has done for us and to thank him for it. He wants us, yes, to be faithful and obedient and also demonstrate the love we have for him. He wants us to depend on his love to help us when we have times of trouble because he wants to help us and in helping us bring himself glory. I don't know about you, but these are things which we need to gladly do because they allow us to recognize God's goodness. Relate to him in love and gladly bring honor and glory to him. And so this should become not only a time of where we praise him even in our prayers, but it should just be a part of our lifestyle even. I want to say the words, finding opportunities to praise him, but I feel like that's a misnomer because life is filled with every opportunity. To praise him. What has God put before you right now in which he has called you to praise him, to bring him honor, to bring him glory? To come before him in earnest prayer, to seek him, that he might do his will in your circumstance. Let's give him sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, to praise you from the rooftops. God, to lift up your holy name in every avenue, in every corner, in every circumstance of our lives, Lord, help us to see you in it, that we may turn to you and to glorify you. Yes, Lord, there is struggle and there's problems and there are times, Lord, where we don't know how to stand, but God, there is always room for praise and glorifying you. Lord, I think of the Old Testament prophets. I think about lamentations. Lord, I think about Job. The ones that in their struggles still knew you were completely worthy of praise even in their hardships. God, I pray that for us because how much better off are we than, than Job or Jeremiah? How blessed we are. God, help us to, to turn to you in praise and prayer in our struggle and in our wealth. God, we love you and we thank you. And God, to you be all the glory and the praise, and not us. Amen. Amen. God bless. Y'all have a good night.